We love being here in this family of God and being a part of the family of God. We've seen the children, we've seen the families, we've heard a little bit about them. We see children like this that we've just seen this morning being raised by parents who love the Lord and imperfectly pledged to raise them for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, it brings me hope. It brings me some encouragement. I hope it does you as well. It makes me feel a little bit better about this coming generation, knowing that these children will be a part of it because of these parents' dedication to follow the Lord, to raise them for the Lord. And so the parents were charged that they will live their life before their children as a clear witness to their faith in Jesus. These parents see the Old Testament, the New Testament as the Word of God, and they're going to teach these children in their homes the Word of God so that, Lord willing, they will be saved by the power of Jesus and His gospel. But we also heard the charge to the parents to let us be a part of their lives and and to allow us to be part of helping them with these children. So we were all charged as well to um, assist them in raising these children in the Lord, for the Lord, and we're to be an example to them. That was part of our charge. And there was a loud, we do, or yes, and I do, and you know, the, the different responses we made, that we would be an example, that we would pray for them, that we would provide support and help in ways that we know they will need some help. Now, if we listen to that charge before we just simply got caught up in the emotion and said, yes, <laughs> if we listened to that charge, we might be a little bit nervous and maybe we should be a little bit nervous for what we just signed up for. Because we just signed up to help parents raise their kids, other people's kids. We just agreed to be a part of those who are supporting parents raising the next generation. Let's bring that down a little bit to a level we can comprehend because these children are not going to be little forever. They're not going to be young or children forever. Lord willing, they will be adults one day, but before that, they're going to be teenagers. They'll be children, they'll be toddlers. And when we see these children as teens, as adults, as toddlers, it won't only be their parents who receive either blame or credit. (laughs) We will have been a part of raising them as well. Now, I know that none of us who have raised children have done so perfectly. I can't even talk about how far away from perfection I have been, continue to be. I know that we all probably can think of times we'd like to have some do-overs for. I have too many to mention this morning. My kids know how often. They can tell you plenty of stories, I'm sure. Not listening when I should have, listening to them when I shouldn't have, jumping to conclusions, being too strict, being too lenient, uh, talking too much. We can think of times we haven't been patient when we should have. We weren't there for them when we should have been. We've made mistakes. Even in the times we thought we were nailing it, we were messing up. And even in times we thought we were really messing up and God was using it in good, healthy, productive, God-glorifying ways. But if that's true, if, if we've messed up, why in the world would we commit ourselves to helping other people raise their kids? I mean, parents are gonna mess up themselves. They don't need our mistakes too, do they? <laughs> Now, on top of that, think about how each generation is different from the one who came before. That's been true for thousands of years. 
But the pace of change and the depth of change from one generation to the next has been speeding up very quickly. I don't think it's ever been matched. I don't believe that the change between one generation to the next has ever been matched by recent generations, the the speed of change and and the amount of change. And forget just generations. Who would have thought just 10 years ago that we would be questioning what male and female is? Or even five years ago, right? From one generation to the next. I mean, that's not even a consideration. And the efforts that are being made to make that normal, a normal part of human experience, starting with children, teaching them from a young age, you know, it's unsettling, to say the least, to know how we've messed up. It's even more unsettling to see how the world is trying to corrupt the minds and the hearts of children and succeeding. And as troubling as that is, it's such a large societal problem. It's beyond any one person's ability. It's beyond our ability in this room to change all of that in the entire country or the world. But God hasn't given us the charge to try to direct a world full of children or even a nation full of children. God has given us these children. He's given them first to these families, to these parents. They have direct responsibility for them. But he's given these families us, brothers and sisters, for assistance, for support, to pray for them and to serve them. And so now if we want to see some children in this coming generation live for the Lord, changed by the gospel of Jesus rather than changed by the world, this is where we begin, right here in our church family with these children. Now, again, it's a tall order. It's a big task. If we really understand it, again, we just might be a little bit nervous. But in God's absolute wisdom and power, He uses our imperfections. He uses our imperfect attempts to raise children for His glory. And we know that we should be, and we are reaching out to the children around us in our community that are not part of our church family. We praise God for our Good News Club and other ministries that we have, other, um, other ways that we serve. But our first responsibility, brothers and sisters, is for these children that God has placed within our, either, either our first hand or our second hand contact as a church family. So as a, for a few minutes... Just a few minutes together, let's consider some biblical principles that will help us come alongside these families. And these principles will help these families as well be families and to to operate as as children to parents and parents to children, as siblings, as husband and wife. Um, You don't need to write all of these down. You're welcome to. There are lined notes, pages um, available to you. There are a few of them. Um, And I didn't want anyone to get frustrated trying to write them all down. Just a few biblical principles. We're going to give you a summary at the end that, Lord willing, will help you remember these. But the first one, the first principle to help us to come alongside these families is uh, to be patient. A synonym for patience, probably a more vivid word, is the word (laughs) long-suffering. Long-suffering. Uh, These children, as we've already heard and as we already know, are not perfect. They're not going to be perfect. Neither are the parents. A child may run into you after a worship service. Be patient. A child may break something after a worship service or during a night of prayer or while you're in the service or at home. A child will break something. You will break something as well. 
A child may be loud during the worship service on family worship Sunday. Be patient with the children and be patient with the parents. Patience is commanded throughout the New Testament and our perfect example of patience is, of course, our great God. Our great God who suffers long with you and with me. And so if he can put up with us, we can certainly put up with one another because God is completely perfect and eternal. We're neither of those things. Parents like to say to their children, how many times do I have to tell you? (laughs) As many times as it takes, parents, right? Patience all around. Patience, children with children, children with parents. That's the first principle, biblical principle. The next one, number two, is to be kind. Be kind. Patience is the passive side. When a parent does this or that or a child does something wrong, then it's time to be patient. The kindness is the active side. This is the ongoing, uh, proactive, taking the initiative part of of these uh, first two principles. Kindness is that readiness and practice of doing good things, doing good for another. It's what we agreed to do in supporting these parents. It's, It's practical, not just theoretical. It's being an encouragement without needing to be provoked to be encouraging. It's being there when there are tears. There will be tears as you raise children. It's not just returning good for evil, but good for the sake of good because God is good. And God is so good to us, we return his goodness to others. Um, God is kind to all. And again, he's our perfect example. So if you're going to have, brothers and sisters, an impact on a child's life and a family's life, be patient, be good, be kind that will have a great impact, especially in this world where kindness is sorely lacking. Third, let me, let's go with some do nots, some, princi- some biblical principles of do not. Do not envy. You say, what? <laughs> Why would this be one of the principles? Uh, envious, uh, jealousy. Envy can creep up within us. It can spoil our attitude toward others, including parents, children, families. You know, what does it sound like? Well, look at those families over there. They have their youth. They're all together. They're healthy. Look at the opportunities those children have. You know, they're the perfect family. Look what they get to do. Look where they get to go on vacation. Look where their children get to go to school. Look at the sports they get to do. On and on and on it goes, right? Envy severs relationships. It cuts us off from the very relationships we're depending on to help one another grow, to help these parents raise these children. And don't think it can't happen to you. It happens to people in the lowest positions up to the highest positions, the most gifted, the most talented person that there ever was. There's always somebody that's better than you at something. (laughs) Envy, jealousy can creep up. Refuse to allow it. Refuse to, to allow envy to creep into your heart and replace it with contentment for what the Lord has given to you. And realize that you're a part of this church family supporting those families and helping them to do the things that they're doing and to be who they are. Number four, another biblical principle is don't boast. Don't boast or brag. Now, all of us can fall into this pretty easily with all kinds of reasons and rationalizations, especially parents, right? Well, I mean, we get really proud of our kids in some really good ways and some really bad ways, but constant bragging and boasting can puff up our children, setting them up for a fall, and it can discourage others. 
but it's not just parents who are raising their children right now, parents who have raised their children. You know, when I was raising my children, I never let them, right? As a family, we always made sure to... (laughs) Some of those things are healthy and good. We need to know. We need that wisdom passed on from the older generations. But there's not much that can discourage parents like being compared to other parents in ways that are uh, boastful, whether it's from current parents or parents who have finished raising their children, they're out of the home. Well, why is it so bad Well, it sets me up as the example. If I'm bragging and boasting about what I do and what I see, well, it's setting me up as as the example, some kind of example rather than Jesus. It makes it sound like I came up with all of the great ideas and had all of the success when really all of the praise goes to my Lord, not to me. All the attention centers on me rather than on those I'm trying to help when I'm boasting, bragging rather than the, the great God who alone is worthy of all praise. It leaves out all of my mistakes when I'm bragging, <laughs> right? Boasting isn't helpful, it's detrimental. So let's refrain from boasting. Another principle then. The next one, number five, is don't be arrogant. And it's so dangerous because arrogance is something that we can't see, right? We can't look at somebody and say, oh, that's an arrogant person. Well, maybe some people you can see that, <laughs> Some people, it just exudes out of them, right? But most of us are pretty good at hiding our arrogance, our pride. Uh, we cover it up with a veneer of humility. We're, we're arrogant without realizing it. And some of you are saying, how dare he say that about me? He doesn't even know me. <laughs> but see, just the suggestion that you might struggle with something like pride, if, if it's offensive to me, that's arrogance. It means I'm thinking of myself more highly than I ought to to ever think that someone could tell me that I'm not thinking correctly. Arrogance is a heart problem, but it comes out through our mouths and through our actions. If we're not willing to be a support to families, for example, it can come out, this this pride, this arrogance can come out, you know, I've done my job, it's their turn, right? We're saying, I did it myself. I, I did it myself, I had to figure it out. Let them figure it out themselves as if we really did it ourselves. Whatever we did by ourselves, in our own strength, brothers and sisters ended up as the mistakes that we made. Whatever we did that was right and good came from the work of the Lord within us. So arrogance has no place. When, when we refuse to stoop down to a child's level, it can be arrogance. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond that. I'm past that now. No, you're not, brother. No, you're not, sister. That's why we're still here. That's why we have this church family. You're not above any of this or beyond all of this. Maybe you think, you know, I I don't want to help because I just, look at how much I messed up my own children. I have nothing to offer. Sure you do. All of the mistakes that you made, you can help these parents not make those mistakes. Don't be arrogant in your heart. It doesn't help others, especially families. And families don't be arrogant as well. You know, when you need help, ask for help. That's why we're here. That's what we just committed to do. The next one, number six. The next biblical principle is don't be rude. You say, where is he getting all this stuff? Where is he coming? This is just coming up with this stuff. Some of you may have caught on by now where I'm getting this, that these are biblical principles and you know exactly where I'm getting this. But if you haven't caught on by now where it is, it's okay. We'll get there at the end. Stay with me for now. But the idea here of rudeness 
is acting or speaking in a way that's contrary to proper conduct and decency. Now, if you want, a th- you want one of these principles that's considered outdated today, that's, that's considered old-fashioned, unnecessary, this one would stand out. Manners, being polite, considering others, you know, making an effort not to trample on others so I can get what I want. Considering others uh, and, and putting them ahead of our own selves, you know, that's, un- that's unnecessary. What a waste of time. Or, or that's considered weak, right? Oh, he's just weak. He can't stand up for himself. Strength for many is, I don't care. I'll offend anybody anytime. You know, I'm an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> And that's not strength. That's not courage to, to tell somebody off, to, to cut somebody off. That's not strength or, or courage. It's rude. It's wrong. It's sin. We're commanded to be, to be respectful and to honor all people, even if, especially if, they're eight years old. <laughs> From five to 75 or five to 105, I mean, however long we are, every person is worthy of, God says, your respect, your honor. So parents, teach your children manners. The rest of us set an example for those children and for those parents. Not to be rude. Number seven, don't insist on your own way. Don't insist on your own way. Now, again, if there's one prevailing underlying problem behind so much of the craziness and the ridiculousness of what we see in our world around us today, especially over the last several decades, here it is. I want what I want. I want my way. I want to have what I want to have. And you can have what you want as long as you don't get in my way of getting what I want, right? I want more stuff, and so debt goes out of control. I want pleasure without consequences or accountability or any kind of restraint. STDs, abortion, divorce, same-sex marriage. I want to be happy. So selfishness takes over. Alcohol is part of the solution for getting rid of my sorrows and troubles or drugs or whether they're so-called recreational or illegal or prescribed or self-administered and, and so much of it. It just goes on and on and on. I want what I want. I'll do whatever it takes to get it. I will insist on my own way. And we fall into this in the church as well. I want my kind of music. I don't want this stuff. I want my kind of people in my small group. I want my kind of church service. You know, it's my way or the highway, right? And we have had to show some people where the highway is. (laughs) And it hurts when people leave. It it grieves our hearts, but if we're all insisting on our own way, there is no us, (laughs) and we can't be there for one another. It, It just comes too naturally to us to want our own way, but we have a new nature, brothers and sisters, from Jesus, to follow Jesus, and so that's our goal. That's our, that's our desire to follow Him so He gets His way in our family. Number eight, don't be irritable. Don't be irritable, which means easily provoked. As soon as something goes wrong, boom, blow up, right? Explode. I can't believe that. And it's easily rationalized in us, right? I mean, we, we can excuse this within ourselves really easily. Look what he did. You've, you've got to be, I'm so mad right now, and, and I'm excused to be this mad because this happened or because she said that, right? It's understandable. But brothers and sisters, James 
tells us that man's anger, and you can include in that woman's anger, does not produce the righteousness of God. Even if what a person did was totally sinful and wrong and offensive and terrible, and often it's not, it's just really something I didn't like, right? (laughs) Even if it was something totally wrong, the righteousness of God will not come by your irritability (laughs) or my irritability. It won't build up these children into what God has them to be in holiness and righteousness. It won't encourage the parents. It won't even do any good for you. Patience, like we talked about at the beginning, you know, if you're about to explode and you feel that just sudden welling up, the problem is in your own heart, not in the other person's. No matter how young they are, no matter how wrong it was. Now, I'm not saying that we take sin lightly. I'm not saying we excuse sin but our anger is not going to bring about God's righteousness. Next one, number nine, don't be resentful. Another, saying, another way of saying resentful is um, keeping a record of wrongs regarding children. Have you heard this before? Hey, welcome to our church. Watch out for that kid. <laughs> really? Why? What happened? Well, you remember. He spilled the coffee when he was running around after the service one Sunday. Oh! <gasps> That was eight years ago. <laughs> you know, get over it. <laughs> you know, we, we've, when we've got a record of wrongs, I've kept track of everything that somebody did that was wrong and everything somebody said that was wrong. And when we're resentful in that way, we're of no use to the Lord for Him or for others. We can't serve someone when all we can think about is all the things that they've done that was wrong. If there's a wrong done and it needs to be confronted, then talk with that person and and lovingly, gently, kindly confront the person, say, this is wrong, this was sinful, and and confront and deal with the sin. Lord willing, there will be confession and repentance and reconciliation that's such a beautiful picture of the gospel of how Jesus saves us. Or if it's just a little thing, it doesn't need to be confronted, then drop it, right? Every little thing doesn't have to be confronted. That's wisdom for another time. When should I confront? When should I just drop it? But for this morning, we'll keep going. Number 10, don't rejoice at wrongdoing. Don't rejoice at wrongdoing. Now, it seems obvious enough, but it's another one of those sins we commit without realizing it sometimes and easily excusing it. Parents, it's not cute when a child sasses her mother, right? It's not cute when there's cursing from a child or when he takes something that doesn't belonging, but belong to him. That's rejoicing over wrongdoing. There are plenty of things that children do that are cute, but we don't need to be encouraging wrongdoing or rejoicing over wrongdoing. Others of us rejoice over wrongdoing when it gives us that, that juicy morsel of gossip about those people. Oh, oh you got to hear what this, what this child did. I bet those parents are to blame. (laughs) See how easy it is? We just get so happy, so excited about when somebody does something wrong and, and they mess up. Instead, rejoice with the truth because where you find joy actually reveals a lot about what's happening in your heart. Rejoice with the truth if it's truth, and, and you're rejoicing in the truth when there's wrongdoing, when there's wrongdoing, there is truth in love to support the parents correcting, disciplining their children, supporting the parents. 
Those are good things. That's how to replace rejoicing with wrongdoing. I've got four more. You say, why so many? We're almost there to the end. You'll find out. Number 11, bear all things. A godly biblical principle for supporting these parents and these families is to bear all things. Back to the positive side. Bear up. Remain strong despite what it requires. Again, this is a big task. This is a big deal, and this can be heavy. But brothers and sisters, God equipped the ant to carry 20 times its body weight. And he hasn't equipped us to be able to carry that much physically, but he can equip us spiritually to carry many more times our own ability to carry. Families help other families. Brothers and sisters, come alongside these families. Those who have seen their children grow with all of the strength that God's given you through all of that, help these families. Come alongside them. Number 12, believe all things. Believe all things. Now, this doesn't mean be gullible. This doesn't mean just, you know, buy all the lies. But it means we believe all things that God has said. We believe what others tell us in sincerity So we're not suspicious and unnecessarily cynical about everything that's going on around us and in the families around us. We believe when parents are telling us we're we're doing our best. We're, We're trying with these children. We believe the children when they say, I'm sorry. We believe those who are here who have committed to help one another. Parents, you you can believe the people who are here who have pledged to support you, to pray for you, to help you. Number 13, hope all things. Don't give up on children as they grow. We're hoping for the work of God. And and hoping is not the same thing as, well, I hope the lunch today is good. (laughs) I hope my children made me a card. I, I hope for things that may or may not happen. No, hope in the Lord is sure confidence about who God is and what he's done. So hope in his ability to reach the heart of children and the heart of parents when we're faithful to bring the word of God. Trust that God, hope that God will work in them and he will have his way. And when children grow up and they walk away from the Lord and they get out of church, we don't give up. We continue to hope, we continue to pray in the Lord. So don't grow cynical, remain hopeful. Last one, endure all things. Endure all things. Be strong and persevere. As we've said, it will be costly, it will be difficult, but it will be worth it in obeying the Lord God because these are biblical principles. These are what He has told us to be and to do, to care for families and children and all of us, (laughs) every one of us. But we've got to endure all of these things because this kind of service, this kind of ministry to one another, the kind that matters, the kind that lasts is not faithful over a couple of hours or for a few days, year after year after year enduring. Now, we've just covered a whole bunch of biblical principles for how to fulfill that pledge, that commitment that we made to support them. And there were so many of them. You know, wouldn't it be nice if there was some kind of acrostic that we could memorize? And, and, or maybe if, it was, if, they had been, um, if there had been some alliteration with them, we could, you know, kind of put them in order and remember all of them. Is there some way that we can do that? Well, not in this case, but there is one word that will sum up everything that we've been talking about. Everything that we've been saying, this one word defines every one of these principles because all of this has come from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and the one word is love. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says, love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Where did he come up with all these things? I didn't come up with them. (laughs) The Lord God teaches us what love is. So how do we remember all of these things? Well, simply by loving these parents. Simply by loving these children, loving one another. Now, the words just before this are really helpful for this because many out there are, think, are saying, you know, I think it's going to take more than love. <laughs> and I've, I heard this, I've heard this repeatedly in foster care training. Love is not enough. Repeatedly. Love won't do it. Now, love like the world understands won't do it. Love like the world knows is not enough. But love, biblical love, godly love like we've just talked about, that's what God says. That will be enough. Well, we need to be able to talk to children in their language. It would be nice to be able to see the future. You know, we've got to be able to unroll this mystery and know more. We need more faith for all of this. And even if all of that were true, here's what Paul says just before these words in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love... I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, Paul's going off his rocker with exaggeration here. Even with regard to kids, if I understood everything and saw their future, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, Paul says, but have not love, I am nothing. We do need to continually ask God for wisdom. James 1 tells us God will give it generously, but even if we had all the wisdom that he could give us and we didn't love these children and these parents and these families and one another, it would be for nothing. It wouldn't do us any good. It would be worthless. Well, isn't it enough to sacrifice for them? I mean, look how much it costs. Look how much I have to give. Paul says, if I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Yes, this will be difficult. It will require much sacrifice. But without love, it's not going to accomplish anything. Just before all of this, Paul says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way that he lays down here is love. Biblical love, as we've been talking about. The words just after what we've said are that love never ends. And that's the end of it all. Paul says, look, everything's going to come to an end. Prophecies tongues, knowledge, it's all going to go away, but love doesn't go away. It's so helpful that Paul says when he was a child, he acted like a child, but now that he's mature and now that he's grown, he's put away all of that, and the day will come when we'll all be made perfect. But for now, he says, and this is the way he ends in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We need to love these children. We need to love these families. And it doesn't mean not teaching them. It doesn't mean not disciplining them, but it means doing all that we do in love. Now, here's the catch, families. If we're going to be able to love you, you've got to be here. And brothers and sisters, if we're going to love these families, we've got to be here. Not just here in this building, but in our Koinonia groups, in 
fellowship with one another throughout the week, in ministry together, serving one another. So even when the morning was a mess, families, nothing went right, your child still has Cheerios stuck to her shirt, her dress, bring those children, we'll wipe the Cheerios away, we'll wipe the tears off of our shoulders when we're done holding the child, or you, mothers. (laughs) My wife probably doesn't want me sharing this, but she's had tears wiped away in the back. (laughs) It's been such a blessing to have her have other people, other mothers to, to care for her and love her and wipe her tears away as she struggles, as we struggle. Brothers and sisters, we can't do this remotely. We can't do it virtually or online. We've got to be together. And so we need to be patient. We need to be kind. We need to eliminate any kind of envy or boasting, any arrogance or rudeness. We never insist on our own way. We're not going to be irritable or resentful with one another. We're going to be doing away with any kind of rejoicing over wrongdoing, but we're going to rejoice with the truth. We're going to love by bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things, because love never ends, and we're going to mess it up. (laughs) We're not going to do it perfectly, but we're going to confess that to each other. We're going to forgive one another because God's forgiven us, and we're going to grow in this love. Is this really serving God? Is this really worthy of a message? It's in God's Word for us. This is how we love God when we love one another. We, want to, we talk a lot about how we want to become more like Jesus. We want to be more like our God. Well, 1 John 4 tells us two times, God is love. So if we're going to be more like Him, we need to grow in love. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your love to us. God, thank You that You have, are perfect in Your love. Father, You have demonstrated Your love toward us in that when we deserved it least, God, when we had earned nothing from you but your wrath, Lord, you loved us. You sent Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord and God, to live a perfect life for us, to die for us, and to rise again. God, he continued to show love during the time he was here before he ascended. Lord, he continues to show love to us because, God, he prays for us right now. Father, thank you for his ministry, his life the salvation that we have in him. Lord, we pray, God, that you would bless the efforts of all of us, your people. Lord, as we desire to follow you, as we desire to grow in love. Father, this is not something that comes easily to us. It's not something that comes naturally. Father, we've talked about how we're tempted in all of the opposite direction. But God, we pray that you would work among us Lord, that you would change us. Lord, that you would encourage these families. Lord God, thank you again for giving this responsibility to these parents. Lord, for for fathers, God, who have this responsibility, Lord, and they are directly responsible and accountable to you, Father, for the way that their family goes. God, thank you in your infinite wisdom that you give mothers more time with these children, Father, that they can care for them and they can wipe tears and wipe wounds and they can hold them and they can be mothers to them, and that our dads can be fathers to them. God, for those who don't have a mother or father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for those who have come to care for them. Father, we praise you and thank you for your power and goodness. God, even if we don't have our mother with us anymore, Lord, you are the perfect parent. God, as a father, as a mother, Lord, you care for us. 
God, we exalt your name, we praise you and thank you. Lord God, I pray that as we celebrate mothers today, Lord, that we would celebrate, as we've already said, Jesus most of all. That we would lift up his name and God, that we would live out the gospel in our praise for others, in our accountability to others, Father, in our confronting one another, Lord, in every moment of our life, Lord, make us a picture of your grace. Father, we praise you. We thank you. We lift up the name of our Savior, Jesus, and it's in his perfect, precious, holy, blessed name we pray. Amen.